The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here. A grand slam home run. And this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight as we are in the middle of our sixth consecutive year of bringing you the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, talking about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. The Indians have had a good week. The Reds, well, they didn't have a bad week. They didn't have a good week. They basically were at 500. And in order to talk about tonight's teams, the Reds and the Indians, let's go down south and bring in our (laughs) resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, before we get into everything, I guess I'm going to go on a diatribe. We talked a little bit about it earlier before we went on the air. A little secret to fans that listen to this show. We connect with you via Skype. It seems like every week you have a problem with Skype or I have a problem with Skype. I'm not sure what the problem is with Skype, but how many times do you think that they could update this thing or ask us for a new password, a new username, or we have to completely sign up all the time? This thing is becoming more of almost a pain in the butt than what it's worth. Let's start our own Skype, the Mark and Dave sign-in show. How about that? I agree. Do you have anybody that has some computer knowledge that can put this thing together? No, I don't, but I turn to you, Dave, in my hour of need of things like that. So uh, I think you and Greg could probably come up with something, actually. No, it would be Greg <laughs> that would come up with that. It wouldn't be Greg and I, none, none of that. Hey, the Reds this week went three and four. The Indians went five and one. But as usual, I will find a few things to complain about the Indians. <clears throat> I know you've got some things that you want to talk about as far as the Reds, but the number one thing I think I want to talk about, Mark, is they are thirteen and nineteen heading into tonight's game in last place. They sent Scott Shebler to the minors. What does that say about the future? of Shebler with the Reds. Shebler is, I think, the typical player the Reds have adopted over the last couple of years, and I call him a 4A player. Uh, This guy doesn't have the bat speed uh, unless he changes his approach. Uh, He's got a little bit of of power. Uh, He reminds me a little bit of Yonder Alonso. He's he's, he's thick in the chest. I think it, it hurts his bat speed. He doesn't have quick hands. I, I don't think he's a, a, the kind of guy who, who's going to be able to lead this team in, in any way offensively. And it showed up. He, he's overpowered by the breaking ball down and in. He, he just cannot hit it. And if you watch the Reds regularly, you'll see that Chevler, they'll throw waste pitches outside. And he can take the outside pitch to left field, but he is defenseless against the breaking ball down and in. And, you know, they're just going to wear him out. And, but I think he's, 
illustrative of what the Reds are. There, there are a lot of 4A players that simply are never going to be uh, mainstays at the major league level, and that's what is frightening about this team. But the the other thing you mentioned, the Reds were three and four this this week. They could have been seven and zero. And I heard something last night that I I think I knew intuitively. The Reds have lost nine games this year when they've had a lead of two or more runs in the seventh inning. They've lost nine. And there was a time with the Reds bullpen a couple of years ago, they would have been nine and zero in those games. They they would have won every game. And here they are, they've lost nine games. This is not just losing nine games. It's, it's when you have a lead, uh, against the Giants, or let me see, the other day, I guess it was against the Giants, uh, they had a six to three lead, and they lost, I think, 13 to seven. And that happens all the time. Uh, right, the last time I looked, it was two to two here in the uh, seventh inning against the Pirates, and if you were a betting person, you would say the Reds absolutely positively will lose this game because they don't have any uh, late inning relief. And it's not going to get any better. And I think it was the combination of all this is when they got rid of J.J. Hoover. At least they sent him back. And, you know, you don't want to pick on a kid. He's a young man. He's trying. I understand that. This is his career. But he does not have major league stuff. He just doesn't. Either it's his location or it's just the velocity. He cannot overpower people. Dave, it's like batting practice when he comes out there. And I'm not being facetious. I think he has a 13 or 14 ERA. It could be higher. Well, first of all, did you open up your thesaurus tonight to the eyes? Illustrative? Intuitive? What, what did you... I can tell you're an author tonight, Mark. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just... Boy, oh boy, you have really pulled out the thesaurus for uh, I'm sorry, Dave. this diatribe tonight. I'll back it off. I'm sorry. I, I'm a man of simple education here, Mark. <laughs> you, you need to dumb it down just a little bit <laughs> for for me. But, you know, Shebler, Brian Price said one thing about Shebler that I thought was pretty telling. He has only started in 14 of 31 games this year, and Price says... He needs more playing time. And to me, Mark, that was just managerial mumbo-jumbo. Well, it, it is. If, if the kid was playing well, uh, he would be in center field more than Billy Hamilton because he, he's fast. He's not bad defensively. And he got off to a good start this year. In an opening series against the Phillies, he had a couple of big doubles. And, you know, you, you, you think, well, wow, maybe we've got something here. But even those doubles were balls that really should have been caught. Uh, they were they were big hits. But I, I don't see that the talent level with these guys are bringing up yet. And it was very interesting. I, I doubt you heard this, but last week uh, during one of the broadcasts on radio, they bring in a reporter from the Cincinnati Enquirer every every second inning, the, the visiting second inning. And um, they interview them or talk to them about what's going on with the Reds. And this young man, who I've forgotten his name now, he, he's new this year uh, to the broadcast. But he made some comment. Uh, they were bringing up a pitcher, um, and I forget which one it was now, it was somebody who's not very good, which is most of the Reds' relief corps. And Marty Brenneman, I think, asked the question, well, why aren't they bringing up one of their top pitchers? And th- he said, well, 
they know they're going to lose this year, so they, they don't want to waste the time. You know, keep them in the minors, and they'll get an extra year. And Marty says, "What? What do you? Are, you, you say?" I, I absolutely hate that. I that excuse. Well, that that's it was more an excuse. It was a strategy. It was a plan that at least this reporter believed the Reds had, where they are better off. And this is I'm paraphrasing here, but it's very close. He said the Reds are better off finishing with the worst record again this year, drafting another stud, is what he said, as they hopefully will do this year with a number two pick. And he said if they can do that for the next year or two, they'll be in pretty good shape. Now, I remember last year, near the end of the season, if you recall, the Reds lost 14 games in a row and 15 out of 16. And more than one manager and general manager said the Reds are tanking on purpose to get a high draft pick. Now, I don't know what anybody can do about that. It's it's an accusation that's unproven. or un, unpro- You can't prove it, let's put it that way. And I, I don't know if the Reds are going to be calling the carpet about it. But you do have a responsibility for the teams you're playing to put out a good team because it could impact playoffs. It could impact, certainly, impact the, the, the draft. And I just wanted to know what you thought about if a team like the Reds, they're clearly not going to win this year, if they just bring up AAA and AA players that aren't going to be stars in the future, sit, keep their best players down there in the minors so they do finish with the worst record, is that an acceptable strategy in today's baseball world? Absolutely not. And I agree with exactly what, what it is that that reporter is saying, that, that that is not, should not be an acceptable strategy. However, it's being done in every other sport. It's being done in the NBA. It's being done in the NHL. And to a certain extent, it's being done in the NFL. So to think that it's not being done in baseball or hasn't been done in baseball over the past few years, Mark, would be not giving these teams credit. Mark, if they are keeping players down in the minor leagues, and I ask you this question, because they want to keep them an extra year, aren't they doing the same thing? They're not putting out their best 25-man roster? Well, of course. But from a organizational perspective, if they know they're not going to win, even when they bring up those kids, that they, and that's their argument. Uh, Robert Stevenson, he has been and everybody's top of the list for a long time in the Reds organization. He's two and zero this year, by the way, p- pitching for the Reds. He's still in AAA, and I think they're able to bring him up sometime in the middle of May. Calendar-wise, that's when it works out. But what happens if they keep him in the minors all year? Even though they know he's a better pitcher than some of the pitchers they have, certainly in the rotation, or even on the pitching staff at all, are they being smart? Or are they being dishonest and unethical and actually hurting that pitcher's career but not giving him a major league experience in a year where it doesn't matter? Mark, I was I was a proponent against this maneuver with Chris Bryant, with Francisco Lindor, and I'm going to be the same way with no matter whom it is. Only I'm going to use the argument 
or the the idea that this reporter from the Cincinnati Inquirer put forward, if you're not bringing up your best players and putting them on the 25-man roster, you're guilty of not putting forward your best team. I don't care what reasoning you're using or excuse or strategy, however it is you want to phrase it. You're not putting the best 25 men on your team and you're doing a disservice to the teams that are trying to win a World Series, like the Cubs, like the Pirates in that division. Okay, you mentioned the Cubs. And I'm not disagreeing with you, because I'm not sure there's a right answer here. That is precisely what the Cubs did. It's precisely what Houston did, precisely what Kansas City did. They were lousy for three or four years in a row, and they were accused of, of tanking. And not bringing up their best players. No, no, Mark, I'm going to back you up on that one. Yes, they were accused of tanking, but they were not accused of not bringing up their best players. Kansas City had their players up and were playing them. The Cubs, the only player that they had a problem with was Chris Bryant. And that was the guy that they sent down. They were playing Solaire. They were playing Rizzo. They were playing uh, the, the, sh- the shortstop, and I can't think of his name now, that's playing second with the New York Yankees this year. Those teams were playing their best 25 players. The only player that they had a problem with was Chris Bryant. No, wait a minute. You said they were playing them, but the whole accusation was when they were playing them, they should have been playing them a year earlier or two years earlier. They could have brought them up because they were the best players in the organization. The the teams will tell you we're better off – to get our heads kicked in for a couple of years, get some high draft picks. And don't forget, when you draft number one or two, you're also getting number 31 and 32. And those are usually very, very good players. So it's not just getting a, that one kid. You're, you're getting two or three players. And I think the Reds have a sandwich pick between the first and second round. So they're going to get three players drafted in the top 32 or 33 players. And that's a lot of talent they're going to get. Now, Maybe. And so that's six players they're going to get like that if they finish last this year. That's six players of that caliber over a 12-month period that they're going to get. Now, that that can change. if it, now you, you have to make good drafts, but the first, right. you know, the first two or three players, four players in the draft, I can't say they, they can't miss because they do, but typically – those guys become your studs. Uh, they become guys that are in the big leagues for a long time and, and, and produce over a long period of time. It's really hard to have a number two, three, four, five pick be a bust. It happens, but not very often. Yeah, I, I you know, the, the one thing is you've got a tough time differentiating between is a single-A player better than or a double-A player better than the guy that you've got at the major league level. I will give you that. But as far as last year with Chris Bryant, there was absolutely no doubt that he was should have been on the major league roster. Last year, as far as I was concerned, and a lot of people agree with me, there was no doubt. Francisco Lindor should have been on the Cleveland Indians at the beginning of the year. Mark, I want to get into this Tyler Naquin thing. He literally got caught up in numbers with the Indians, and you know I have been behind him ever since 
I saw him in spring training playing a few games. Mark, he's the only pure center fielder that the Indians have right now. With Almonte going down to the drug suspension for 80 games, he's not going to be back with the team for 80, 80 games. He won't be back till probably mid-July, I think, is the date. But Tyler Naquin was caught up in numbers, and this alludes, and I'm going to use your thesaurus here tonight, this alludes to the hypocrisy that the Indians constantly pull with their youth. Tyler Naquin, when he was sent down on Saturday, he, they brought him, they sent him down so they could bring up Cody Anderson to pitch the game on Saturday. In 22 games this year, Naquin batted 315 with four extra base hits, two RBIs, eight runs scored, and he had 19 strikeouts compared to one walk. That's the one downfall you can find with this kid. 19 strikeouts compared to one walk. Now, Terry Francona noted that the Indians have been working with Naquin on his first step quickness and defensive routes as far as playing center field, and they want him to continue to hone that aspect of his game at AAA. Mark, that's tantamount of saying you don't unwrap your bubble gum well. <laughs> you, you know, because what they've done, Mark, they took Lonnie Chisenhall, because they've sent Naquin down, they have no center fielder. Mark, they had to play Lonnie Chisenhall in center field yesterday against Kansas City. Mark, he hasn't even been an outfielder for one full season. And they're going to try to tell somebody like me or the average baseball fan that Tyler Naquin, who's been an outfielder his entire career and a center fielder almost his entire career, he's going to be better than Naquin is because Naquin has a terrible first step. I'll tell you what, I haven't seen Naquin drop a fly ball like I've seen Rajay Davis do three times this year playing center field. Don't try to tell me that the soup is warm when it's freezing cold. Wow. What a mess. I am, I'm really disgusted at this. That Naquin was the only guy they could send down so they could bring up Cody Anderson. And you know what I thought of, Mark, when they did this on Saturday? I thought, and we're going to get into this more in the second half hour, I thought of your plan as far as pitchers are concerned. I really did. I thought of your plan. And why did they have to send Naquin down to the minors to bring up Cody Anderson to start this game when they could have just piecemealed? They've got 13 pitchers on the on the roster, for crying out loud, Mark. You going to tell me that they can't put four or five together for two innings at a time like you brought up on last Monday night's show to get through Saturday's game without sending him down? Well, it's more this just made no sense. Well, a little of a nuance, though, in my plan – you would have each of those pitchers scheduled to pitch on a certain day rather than just I, I can understand maybe if you're, if your staff you know based on how many innings they pitched in the last week maybe they you, you want to bring up that starter but uh yeah I, I think the the idea of having a a 13 man pitching staff and r- rotate those guys based on who you're pitching and only pitching for two or three innings, I, I think, is a valid alternative strategy. And, you know, the, the injuries with the Tommy John surgeries and, and all that. And, you know, you, you made me think about something last week, too. 
why didn't why didn't we have we didn't have Tommy John surgery back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s? You know, Tommy John pitched for the Yankees uh, mainly in the 70s, and that's where it came up. And his surgery happened in the 80s. But back in the day, these pitchers either were not diagnosed to need that surgery because it didn't exist, or the injury was so bad they never pitched again, or they simply pitched around it. They 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 adapted to a different style. They threw sidearm. They changed their their number one pitch went from a fastball maybe to a slider or a cutter or something. But you think about up until the mid-1980s, there was no such thing as Tommy John's surgery. And now, I'll bet you, I mean, see, each there's 30 teams. There's about 350 pitchers at any given time in the major leagues. And I would bet that 20% or more of the existing pitchers on major league rosters have had Tommy John surgery. I would I would say that you're probably right, and I would also say that you're probably right that a lot of pitchers just learned to pitch through it. Yeah, they call it a sore arm when you know it was not your surgery. Now, the thing about Tommy John is a lot of pitchers come back throwing harder than they ever did because they put a thicker tendon in there, and if that's not, I, I don't see the difference between that and steroids. <laughs> You know, it's it's a surgically enhanced elbow. And I read something last year, as a matter of fact, that there was an incredibly high percentage of pitchers who are coming back after Tommy John surgery throwing harder. So I, I, don't, I don't begrudge them the surgery, but is that not enhancing them artificially? Oh, I agree. But they'll say it's in the it's in the aspect of science. And, and medical technology. That, that's how they'll phrase it. What the hell are steroids? Well, you could say the same thing. That's what I was just going to say. There, but what the, how they will couch it, Mark, and boy have I learned a lot this past week on how it is that you present certain verbiage to certain individuals, but I won't even get into that. But what, what they will say to you is, is that steroids can cause long-lasting health problems, whereas, supposedly, as far as they know, this Tommy John surgery improves your long-lasting health. Yes, but let me make a point about that, though, a distinction. And it is a distinction with a difference. Steroids, I agree with, are bad because of the side effects. But there are certain PEDs out there, performance-enhancing drugs, that are not steroids. They simply make you stronger. Make you bigger, stronger, throw harder, recover faster, all those things. I don't see where, where that is any different than somebody taking a vitamin supplement. Depends upon the vitamin supplement. Well, yeah, I know, but they're getting these guys in trouble because they're taking something that is, you know, several years ago, three or four years ago, and even certainly ten years ago, was not considered a a performance-enhancing drug that uh, would get you barred for 80 games. And some of these guys, I, I think it's it's overreach. Uh, I agree on the on the uh, steroids; they, they are bad stuff. I've taken steroids, 
And I, I took them because I was retired. Up, up, we've got to suspend you for 80 nights. <laughs> I, I, took, <laughs> I took them because I, I had an injury, and it does help you come back. Uh, but there was a lot of bad side effects I did not like, so I, I quit taking them. But for, for the professional athlete, not to have something they can turn to to help them heal their body and keep them in shape, uh, I think it's kind of silly at this point, and it's overreaction by MLB. Well, I, in a certain area, yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I, I think there there are certain PEDs that need to be banned. I'm not sure. You know, they never do come out and say what it is that they were taking. They just say that it's on the PED banned list. I thought the the most crazy suspension didn't even happen in Major League Baseball, Mark. It happened a couple of years ago in the NFL when one of the offensive linemen for, might have been the defensive linemen, for the Indianapolis Colts was suspended for four games because he was taking a drug that would increase the fertility between him and his wife because they were trying to have a baby. Now, to me, that was the craziest suspension that I have heard. Uh, but who knows what's involved in what he was taking. I don't know. I'm not a medical expert. Um, I, I, I know you've got a good argument as far as does it help your hand-eye coordination? Probably not. Well, there's a lot of subjectivity to it, and that's what I, I disagree with. But let me ask you something else that, that happened over the weekend that I wanted to get your take on. Uh, did you hear what happened with Bryce Harper and the Chicago Cubs? A little bit. Well, in, in one ball game, he set a major league record. He came to the plate in extra innings seven times. He was walked intentionally six times, or semi-intentionally. And then he was hit by a pitch. <laughs> So he, okay. he was on base seven times in one game without the aid of a hit. And, in fact, he didn't have an at-bat. He came to play seven times and did not have an official at-bat. Now, Bryce Harper is, I guess, the the current version of what Barry Bonds was several years ago. If you remember back, I think it was in 2003 when Barry Bonds hitting all those home runs, um, he, he walked over 200 times in one in one year. Now, Joe Madden made the decision that Bryce Harper was not going to beat them. And they didn't. The Cubs won that game four to three, even though Harper was on base seven times. You think, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. They could have hit him with a pitch seven times, for that matter, and saved themselves a lot of trouble. But... <coughs> What can baseball do about that, if anything, or should they? You know, I, this is happening more and more with the media in every sport, Mark. They, they, again, they, they package it up and present it to you. Again, I've been told that a lot this week. They've packaged it up and presented it to the fans that you're the ones that want this. You're the ones that don't like this. You're the ones that want something done about this. The same thing is said about the NBA and intentionally fouling players as they are coming up the floor. Mark, 
What we have done, and the NFL really started this, and again, I hate to encompass all sports, but really you almost have to when you talk about some of these issues. The NFL really started this by legislating strategy out of the game. And what I mean by strategy is, Mark, you're old enough to remember the tackle-eligible plays, where a tackle just lined up. If there was nobody covering him up at the end of the line, he was an eligible receiver. It was up to the defense to figure it out. Now what do you have? The official with the microphone over his mouth, number 72 is now eligible. 72 is eligible. So what are you going to do? Are you just going to say at the beginning of the game, hey, we're going to walk Bryce Harper each and every time that he comes up to the plate? Probably not, but what... But that's strategy, Mark. That's something that Joe Madden has made him a good manager, a great manager, a team that can, a manager that can take a team. I'm not talking about the Cubs now. I'm talking about the Rays when he was managing them. Bad teams and make them a good team, a good team and make them a great team. And I think he's one of the few managers that can do this. But when you start legislating strategy out of each and every game, it's easier to bet on. You know, one thing I've never understood, if you're going to walk a guy intentionally, now I don't know how many times he was walked intentionally, but I think it was most of the times he was walked intentionally. How long did that take? And even if you're pitching, sure. pitching around a guy, I mean, he came to the plate six times when he was walked. So let's say, you know, some were intentional, some weren't. But even if it was an intentional walk, it takes, it takes several, you know, a couple minutes to walk him. Why not I just say, put him on or the other thing I've never wondered I always wondered about why doesn't the pitcher just go to his mouth four times that's a a real good point you can just walk him without throwing the ball bang 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 and you know he's he's on first base so uh, that would save time in a game not a lot of time but that's kind of a silly thing to do to walk a guy you know the pitcher has to come to the stretch he checks the runners he he walks him the catcher lobs it back and you know, it goes through this whole rigmarole. Why? Say, we choose to walk him or go to your mouth four times and he's gone. <clears throat> I have only seen on an intentional walk, and I know you're going to remember both of these instances, I've only seen two things other than an intentional walk when a team was going to intentionally walk somebody happen other than that. The first one was when Pete Rose leaned out and lined a base hit to right field. They were intentionally walking him, and he reached out and hit a line drive to right field for a base hit. The second one was in the 72 World Series. Raleigh Fingers, they were intentionally walking Johnny Bench on a 3-2 pitch, and boom, they surprised him and threw a strike right at the knees and struck him out. He was expecting an outside pitch, didn't get it. Those are the only two times, and those happened back in the 70s, Mark. So I agree with you. Just put the guy on base. Yeah. If you're crazy about saving time, that would certainly do it. There's just too many things that they're trying to do that take strategy out of the game. I don't like it. Well, back to Shebler very quickly. Does that mean Adam Duvall is now the full-time left fielder? Yeah, I think for the for the foreseeable future, I mean, he's hitting the ball hard. Even when he makes outs, he's hitting the ball hard. He's playing a surprisingly good left field. And, you know, I think this guy will hit. I, I predict he's going to hit between 20 and 25 home runs this year. I said that uh, over the winter. I, I saw him play last year, 
he's got scary power. I mean, he, he can really crush the ball. And right now he's learning plate discipline, but he, I think he, he may be the, the power hitter and he'll probably hit 255, 260, maybe 245 in that range. But 20, 25 home runs, drive in 60, 70 runs. That's very acceptable in left field uh, with the Reds right now until they have, you know, somebody else coming up. Maybe, maybe Winker uh, will be the guy that replaces him. And if, you know, I, I can't imagine, Dave, that the, the Reds are going to have Jay Bruce and Homer Bailey on this roster by the end of the year. I think they'll both be gone. And I think Brandon Phillips is really driving his value up with what he's doing offensively and defensively this year. So, you know, you have these young kids, you got to put them somewhere. And the, the, the better they perform, these three veteran players, the better off they are. Uh, Jay Bruce is, you know, he's still hitting 230. And, uh, that, that's not going to change. That's, you know, regression to the mean with Jay Bruce means he goes from 270 to 220. That's, that's his new mean. And it's, it's unfortunate, but he's not been able to figure it out. Although he could help a team who simply needs a power hitter, a guy who's going to hit you 25, 30 home runs. Uh, you don't care on his, about his on base percentage or his batting average because he's not going to be there. But I think he has some value. Well, and it just came across the wire, Mark, that the Yankees have activated Araldus Chapman. So he has served his suspension. He'll be eligible for the game tomorrow night. So that's an interesting little tidbit. Another thing that just came across, Steven Strasburg just signed a seven-year agreement with the Washington Nationals. That is a big story as far as what's happening with with the, the Nationals and Steven Strasburg. Quite honestly, Mark, ever since he had the arm injury, he really hasn't done all that much. Seven years, $175 million for him. Okay. Now, Steven Strasburg, by your own admission, not admission, but your own observation, has not performed that well the last two or three years. He got $175 million for seven years. Homer Bailey got seven years. He got $100 million for seven years. Homer Bailey is now a bargain. He's also pitched two no-hitters. <laughs> and so I, I guarantee you, as soon as he's healthy, and that's why the Reds are holding him back, they don't want him to get hurt. They want him to be 100%. Let him pitch three or four games, and you wait until the July you know, trading deadline. Homer Bailey will get traded. I guarantee it. Mark, a couple things here about the Indians. This is the one thing that just that just – Simply drives me crazy about Terry Francona as a manager. The Indians are down 5 nothing right now to the Houston Astros with two outs in the fourth inning. They had to pull Corey Kluber with two outs in the third inning. Now, Kluber gave up six straight hits in the third inning and was down 5 nothing. got the next two guys to bounce out to him for two outs, and Francona went out and pulled him. Brought in Kyle Crockett. Crockett got the last out of the third inning and the first out of the fourth inning. And now he just walked out there and now he's changing pitchers again. So he's gone through three pitchers in the first three and two-thirds innings, Mark. And you're going to tell me that they had to send Tyler Naquin to the minors on Saturday to bring up Cody Anderson to pitch? I wonder what's wrong with Kluber. Nothing. It's just a bad night. He's been pitching well in his last... 
four outings. He, he had a bad night. They're playing Houston, and they just found the holes. I don't have a problem with that. What I've got a problem with is his use of the pitching staff. And, again, we go with a crappy defensive outfield when Kluber is pitching. You've got Rajay Davis playing in center field. But then again, I don't know what they're going to do. They might as well just play two outfielders and a guy up the middle, right behind second base. Because they've got nobody out in center field now, Mark, that can catch the ball. I'm not worried, you know, I'm not worried about Tyler Naquin's first step. I'm worried about can the guy catch the ball. That's, that's the first thing I need to be worried about as the Indian center fielder. But, uh, you know, that's, that's not happening. The other thing I wanted to bring up tonight was Carlos Santana. Would you think looking at Carlos Santana, Mark, that he's the Indians prototypical leadoff man? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. No. But here's the thing about it. He went, one for four with a solo home run in the win over the Royals yesterday. It's the second home run that he hit in May, both from the leadoff spot. He's batting two thirty four overall. Although in the leadoff spot, Mark, he's batting two ninety four. And all five of his home runs, though, have come off right-handed pitchers. As I said, two in the leadoff spot. But he's really struggling against lefties with a one eighty eight average. So... Not sure what they're going to do. His swing is very, very long as a right-handed hitter. But he's he's swinging the bat well as a lefty. But still, he's not the prototype leadoff man that you want. But I'll tell you one thing, he's doing the job. Well, that's all that matters. And, and are you still unconcerned about the position the Indians uh, currently have in the American League Central? Well, they're five games out behind the White Sox. They're in second place. I know. Are, are, do the five games behind the White Sox bother you? And Kansas City's still not playing well. No. No. And, and I, I think, actually, I told you this before the season began. I think the Indians are a better team than Kansas City. I think the only thing that Kansas City is better at is defense, as far as the Indians are when you compare them with the Indians. Um the White Sox, boy, they've done a lot right now. Um, Chris Sale is really pitching well. He's not pitching better than he has in the past few years, but he's getting the run support. This White Sox team is better defensively. They're better offensively. I think you can make a, a big case that Todd Frazier has really made that team a better team because what they were able to do that a lot of people don't realize, Mark, he solidified the third base position, but it also allowed them to move Brett Lowry from third base to second base, which is where he should be playing, not third. And that really solidified their defense. <clears throat> and and I think they're they're a team to be reckoned with. But the Indians still have sixteen games with them this year. They've played three so far. They've got sixteen games left. So let's see how that goes. All right. That that's the that, that's why I'm not that concerned about the White Sox. I'll tell you a team that everybody needs to be concerned about though. Not just not just the White Sox, but on the other side of town, the Cubs. Mark, they're off to a a great start. I've got some Cub facts here for you. They right now are the eighth team in Major League history to start 24-6 and six or better through 30 games in the last 
80 years. The last team to start with a better record was the Detroit Tigers in 1984 when they started out 26-4. and And we all know what happened to the Tigers that year. That's right. They ended up winning it. Who was the manager? Sparky Anderson. And who was their best player? Uh, Gibson. Kurt Gibson. The Cubs are also the second fastest team to reach the plus 100 run differential. With the win on Saturday, the Cubs became the fastest team in baseball history to reach the plus 100 run differential in 29 games. Only the Pirates in 1902 reached that mark faster. That was 26 games. And, Mark, what happened in 1903? Well, uh, let me see. It was... This is not your trivia question of the night. Oh, okay. But in 1903, one year after the Cubs did this, was the first year of the World Series. Well, I, I, I thought, I mean, I knew that, but what happened in 1904? That's when the Cubs won it. No, they won in 1908. Was it 1908? Okay. In 1904, there was no World Series. The Giants refused to play. Uh, McGraw refused to play uh, whoever won the American League. Uh, and the so they did, if you look look back in history there is no 1904 World Series winner because there was no World Series. You remember that because you were there? Yes, uh, I was in high school. <laughs> okay, and the third Cub fact: the last time the Cubs started with a better record, they won the World Series. That was 1907. Yeah, people forget in the early part of the century, the Cubs were a great ball club. They just had a bad century. I forget what writer said that, but any team can have a bad century. Yeah, them and the Indians and the Red Sox. That's right. You know, you you can look at look at those three teams. Mark, I saw an article this weekend over a Bleacher Report on the top 25 prospects in Major League Baseball. I'm not going to go through all 25. But the only one that the Reds had, the Indians had none. The only one that the Reds had was Cody Reed, one of the guys that they got in the Johnny Cueto deal with Kansas City. And they said he's pitched well in all three starts at AAA Louisville. He's got a 1.62 ERA right now after posting a 2.41 ERA in the minors last year. And they figure he'll be up with the Reds very, very soon. Yeah, I think he will. And I saw him at, in Louisville on, on TV anyway, and he's scary. I mean, he, talk about a stud. This guy's six five, and he's throwing he's throwing ninety seven, ninety eight left handed, and he's got an attitude too. And that's that's a guy who I think his ERA is something like zero point five four in his first three starts, something crazy like that. And that's precisely the kind of guy you wonder why isn't either Cody Reed. Robert Stevenson up with the Reds. I mean, okay, maybe he won't be a great success his first year, but giving the give him the advantage of having a year under his belt going into 2017. But we'll see what happens in the next uh, within the next 30 days because that's when the Reds can bring him up. But you know, you mentioned that deal with Kansas City, and I, I think the, that was a great trade. I mean, you know, Cueto. Is a very very good pitcher, but the Reds got three outstanding left-handers from Kansas City that could be in their rotation. You could have all three guys 
in the rotation, if they can stay out of the trainer's room, uh, from that trade by the end of the year. Oh, yeah, you, you could. Very, and, and, you know, John Lamb, another one of the guys that they got in that deal, What's his situation right now? Because I know he had to leave the game the other night with an injury. Yeah, well, he had a sprained thumb yesterday. He was pitching very well. He gave up a home run in the first inning uh, to Ryan Braun. But after that, he was very, very, very good. He was good his first time out. And uh, so, you know, I, I think it, it's a temporary injury. He jammed it when he was batting. So it's, it's something he just jammed the thumb. But it's his left thumb. That's the unfortunate part. So he might miss a start. But that, that trade, I think, was a good trade for the Reds. And it, it was an awful trade for Kansas City, even though over, over the long term. But yet, Kansas City did something that Washington didn't. Washington, a few years ago, they had a chance to win the World Series by pitching whom? Strasburg. That's right, and then they chose not to. And Kansas City, to their credit, they went out and got Johnny Cueto, to pitch really two games. They gave up three pitchers because the two games that mattered, the one that got him into the playoffs and in the World Series, Johnny Cueto was lights out and they won the World Series. They pulled the trigger, they something the Indians failed to do in 1997 when they would not trade Jarrett Wright to Montreal for Pedro Martinez. Would not do it. And that, you know, even though Jarrett Wright had a great World Series that year, Mark, I still swear that lack of a deal cost the Indians a World Series championship. Just my opinion. But the one thing I wanted to bring up about that article, and you brought up the trading deadline and this trade with Kansas City. The team with the most prospects in the top 25 will surprise you. It's the Pittsburgh Pirates. They have got three top prospects in the top 25. You know, what that tells me is come July at the trade deadline, they have got the ammo to go out and get what it is that they need. Yeah, they do. And, uh, again, it's just a matter, does the does the organization have the cojones to do that? Because I believe the Indians and the Reds, back in 2010, 11, 12, 13, that era, both those teams had a chance to go much further into the playoffs than they did. They refused to make a trade. They just didn't. They they did not throw caution to the winds and go out there and, and get into the playoffs and win a World Series, and they could have. They both needed a hitter, and neither team went out there and did it. And they had the ammunition to do it. Mark, you brought up an interesting idea that we alluded to earlier in the show. And I want to get back to it just a little bit because I was I was reading this article in the Canton Repository about how the Ohio High School Athletic Association may start mandating a pitch count to high school pitchers. And they use this situation as the reason why they think they need to do this. And it happened in the state semifinal game. <clears throat> As I look this over, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm reading it correctly. It was in the state semifinal game a year ago when the Canton Central Catholic Crusaders were playing Defiance Tenora. Now, the Crusaders were 26 and 8 overall. 
And one of their pitchers, a guy named John Tan, had already pitched the previous week in back-to-back regional games, racking up 18 strikeouts and 154 pitches while giving up no runs, four hits, and no walks. And then they brought him back two days later to throw three innings, which, according to the rules, is allowed because they allow you ten innings pitched over a 72-hour period. Now, what they're looking at is to try to keep these pitchers no more than 100 pitches. Do you think that's too many for high school? Absolutely, I do. And I wish somebody, you hear all these high school studs, you know, coming in, oh, he came in and two days rest and he pitched another seven innings or whatever the the stupid inning total is for these 17, 18-year-old kids. And I, I wish somebody would do some research on this because you never hear about 90% of those kids again because they get hurt. And, you know, it's very interesting we did it for the wrong reasons in our in our men's senior baseball league, but we had something called the Mike Wolf rule, where uh, a player in our team, a guy was outstanding player, a pitcher, and he was so dominant that they limited the innings pitched to only four innings. Now it, we played nine inning games, so he could only pitch either the the middle four or beginning, you know, whatever of his four innings. And what it did, it created a lot more interesting games. And in high school, it's not the number of innings you pitch, it's the number of pitches you throw. That's the key. And I think a pitch count is absolutely, they they, they do it in Little League, they have pitch counts, but the kids in high school don't, and that's when they get hurt. And I would even do it in college, Dave, I really would. And that gets back to my point of last week, of having something like that that manages the number of pitches a major league pitcher throws in a given year. I mean, there have been guys who have thrown, remember Sam McDowell? Yes. Of course you do. Go back and look at his stats. There, there were two or three years he threw over 300 pitches in an, 300 innings in a game or in, in a year. And I wonder how many pitches that guy threw because he had terrible control and he could throw hard as hell, but I, I I wonder how many pitches he threw in a game. Remember when Jim Maloney pitched? But he never had an arm problem. Well, maybe not. But I wonder what his velocity would have been had he been fresh all the time. Remember Jim Maloney for the Reds? Well, Mark, Mark, wait a second here. I, I've got to stop you on that one. Sam McDowell's a terrible one to bring up because he was never fresh no matter what. He was almost always drunk. <laughs> So, you know, he was, he was, he's not a good one to bring up. (laughs) I just wonder though, you look at guys like Jim Maloney and Sandy Koufax, these guys, when when Jim Maloney pitched his no hitter against the Cubs in Wrigley Field, uh, one of three, uh, two, two he pitched, he threw 178 pitches. And of course, his career was over when he was 30. (laughs) And you wonder why. So Well, you know, it brings up, and you bring up Sandy Koufax. This article talks about Sandy Koufax. It doesn't state the year, but it says in one of the seasons, he averaged 155 pitches per game for an entire season. Yeah, that's and and he was done when he was 30. And, you know, I, I wonder, obviously, 
I, I don't. He had an elbow problem, so probably Tommy John would have fixed that. No, the, he had an arthritis problem in that elbow. Well, I know, but he he also had a he had a torn elbow too, and so go back and look at that. He had both, but he had arthritis throughout his body. I I talked to him. I met him uh, at a dinner in New York about ten years ago. And he looked like he could still pitch, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- th- this idea that these young pitchers coming up, this is their life. They've worked their whole life to get to the point of being in the major leagues. And they're going to throw as hard as they can for as long as they can. They don't think about the future. So, you know, I, I just wish some team would take a shot at this idea of limiting the number of pitches a a Major league pitcher throws per year, and you're going to have these guys around a lot longer. Their careers are going to be lengthened considerably, and you're also going to have, in my plan, a fresh arm out there every two or three innings. You can throw hard for two or three innings. That's not going to hurt you. What hurts you is when you throw hard on your 110th pitch. That's what kills you. And Well, here's what, here's what Jackson coach Billy Gamble said. He led Jackson to a state championship in 2014. He says he doesn't have a hard and fast rule on pitch limits, but he'll keep a tight leash on his pitchers in March and early April, especially when it's cold. But what he says is, I've seen guys cruise to 110, 115 pitches, and it was an easy night because he was mowing guys down. But when guys have to grind down innings, that takes more of a toll as the number of pitches. Oh, I, I think that's, I, well, there's obviously ways that statement is true, but um, the, the number of pitches is the key, and also the control that the kid has. And how many breaking balls is he throwing? Uh, you know, a slider is awfully hard on an arm, and people think that because they throw a changeup, it doesn't have any stress in the arm. To the contrary, if you throw a good changeup, a good circle change, the whole idea is you throw it with the same arm speed as you throw your fastball. You just grip it differently so the ball doesn't go as fast. It's the same. I hear people say a changeup is, oh, because they throw a changeup, it doesn't hurt their arm. That's stupid. It does hurt your arm. The same with a knuckleball. A knuckleball is an unnatural way to throw a pitch. And every pitch in baseball that you throw is unnatural on your shoulder. And I'm just saying that you could you could approach this differently, lengthen careers, have better performance, and, and I think you'd have a much better pitching staff that way. Mark, here's where your argument falls on deaf ears, especially when you start talking about knuckleballers and how they can lengthen their careers. I mean, I look at Hoyt Wilhelm, pitched over 20 years. Uh, I look at Wilbur Wood, pitched over 20 years. Prime, all of Both of them. Knuckleball pitchers. Tim Wakefield, knuckleball pitcher, had a career longer than he should have of about 15 or 16 years. The guy up in, in Toronto, and I forget his name right now, but he won a Cy Young Award with the Mets of, a few years ago. Dickey. He's going on a 20-year. Yeah, Ray Dickey. Yeah. R.A. Dickey. He, he, he's going on a 20-year career. That's where the argument that you give, I think, falls upon, falls a little flat. Well, it, it doesn't fall flat because there's not that many people who make it uh, to the major leagues throwing a knuckleball. It's so hard to throw. And the reason is it hurts your arm. Now, there are exceptions, and you're forgetting Jim Cott. You know, Jim Cott could throw a great knuckleball. 
Uh, he, he pitched Jim what? Cott didn't throw a knuckleball till the end of his career. I know, but he threw one. That's what he, he pitched almost what twenty twenty four years. Twenty five, yeah, twenty four twenty five years. Yeah. And he, he was able to throw that way when he came up from Minnesota. He could throw hard. But what kept him in the big leagues? But he was a he was a grown man. Name one knuckleball pitcher in the minor leagues today. I don't know of any. I, there, there, I don't know of any either. I don't think there are any. And the reason is, kids who throw it early on, they get sore arms. But that's not my point. The point is that if you if you don't rely on a pitcher uh, like uh, Corey Kluber, I don't know how many pitches he averaged last year, but it's a bunch. Not many. No, seriously, he didn't. He did not pitch that many pitches. He doesn't. Okay, I'll bet you he averaged over 100 pitches a game. No, absolutely not. Okay, well. As a matter of fact, I can tell you right now, I think he only topped 100 twice. Okay. So what, what he's, he's not, he's not he the one that 95? you want to bring up now. Now a guy, a guy that you would probably want to talk about would be on the Indians would be Danny Salazar. Or Trevor Bauer. The, 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 he's an even better one. The difference between a guy who throws a lot of pitches a game and a guy who doesn't throw many pitches a game is maybe 10 or 12 pitches. That's the difference. If a guy averages 88, is you telling me that's a big difference than a guy who throws 100? I don't think it is. My, my point is, rather than throwing 88 to 100 to 120, as most pitchers do, have that same pitcher throw 40 or 50. But he's in a lot more games. And if you break it down into winning innings, winning innings, that is that is my point, that you have a fresh guy coming in there throwing gas in the third or fourth inning rather than Chapman coming in and throwing gas in the ninth. Mark, what happened on this day in baseball in 1973? This day in baseball in 1973, the Reds won the, the division but lost to the playoffs to the Mets. Uh, on this day in baseball? No, no, not this this year in 73. I'm trying to... Circle back and see what happened in 73. Um, Ken Holtzman threw a no-hitter. For the second time in his career, Johnny Bench hit three homers off Steve Carlton. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I remember that game. I, I listened to that game. I, I remember, Un- remember that game. Boy, Steve Carlton, boy, boy, could he throw. And he's one that accumulated a lot of innings for a lot of years. Yep, he sure did. And he was... You know, he had the, I think, was it that year that he won 27 games for a team that only won 54 or 55? <laughs> You're right. And he won the Cy Young Award that year, too. He was unbelievable. Well, he last, was, last he was lights out. He was also crazy. He was a, he was a crazy guy. <laughs> he was a guy, you know, I, I don't want to get into too much on this, but he was a guy that, Boy, when he he saw a media guy in the in the locker room, he would just smile and pass him by. He wouldn't even say hello. He didn't talk to the media that any, hardly any at all. If you remember that, Mark, what do the Reds have going this this week? Well, they, Dave, I, I've got unbelievable news. The Reds bullpen held off Pittsburgh, and the Reds won three to two tonight. Oh my! I know. I am I am stunned. Uh, Miracles do happen, and 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 I have to admit I have not looked further than the Pittsburgh series. They have three games against Pittsburgh uh, tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday, and I am actually depressed to look any further than that because I don't think they can beat many teams. 
They have Philadelphia on the road Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoon. Uh, see, you just ruined it for me because Philadelphia is playing pretty well, actually. They are. Yeah. yeah, they swept the Indians. That's right. The Indians this week, they've got Houston tonight. They're trailing 5-1. to one. Then they've got the Astros Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon. They're off Thursday. And then they come home to face Minnesota Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon. Mark, we'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show tonight. Hey, quick reminder for you, we've got tournament baseball and softball action for you here on UltimateSportsTalk.com beginning tomorrow at 5 o'clock. The Waynedale Golden Bears will be playing tournament baseball. We'll be on the air at 445. And then softball action at Loudonville on Wednesday, and that will be at 5 o'clock. We'll be on the air at about 445 with the pregame show on that one. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show, and, of course, our thanks to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next week at 9 o'clock with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good night, everybody. Whiz kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski.